Welcome to the Life of Tea podcast, where we discuss tea as self-cultivation. All the life lessons, zen, awakening, and insights that come through a life of Cha Dao. This will be the focus of this podcast, developing and cultivating ourselves and our spiritual practice through tea. If you're interested in the more linear aspects of tea, how it's produced or made, you might want to check out our magazine, Global Tea Hut, which also includes those topics. If you're interested in the practical aspects of brewing tea, we have a whole series of videos on YouTube called Brewing Tea. Also, you're welcome to come to our center, Tea Sage Hut, here in Miali, Taiwan, and sit a 10-day course where we incorporate all these aspects from the linear to the brewing tea to the spiritual cultivation all together, and you can take a deep dive and immerse yourself and ground yourself in this beautiful practice. We're so excited to have this forum to discuss all the life lessons that we can cultivate together through tea. Welcome, put on a kettle, get out some bowls, and let's drink some tea together. Welcome to the Life of Tea podcast. I'm Morgan. And I'm Janos. And our guest today is Sam Gibb from New Zealand. Sam is a dear tea brother who served at the Tea Sage Hut for three years and um, has returned from his travels around the world to help us serve a course. Um, I was thinking earlier how to describe Sam to listeners who have never met him. And uh, I would say that he's about 80% hair most of which is concentrated around his facial region, and uh, the rest of it is equal measures of jokes, laughter, pop culture references, and uh, tea spirit, which is all held together by a big heart. Um, he has a colorful resume that includes working for different non-profit organizations, a stint in a war zone in Liberia, and teaching teenagers in a semi-remote school in Northern Territory, Australia. Uh, we wanted to take this opportunity to talk to Sam about some of his um, colorful experiences and life lessons he's learned. Welcome to the podcast, Sam. Thanks for that, Janus. Lovely to be here. Like I said in the intro, you've led a pretty colorful existence. Um, have you specifically sought out these kinds of experiences or do you feel that it's just the way that life happens to you? I think there's an element of both in that. Um... I would say I've always lived uh, an unconventional life. And ever since I was younger, growing up in New Zealand, I think the quality of life is really high. And a lot of the things that people strive for in other Western countries, we sort of take for granted. You know, things like safety, uh, wealth, health care, all these things are, are pretty readily available. And I remember even being younger and still sort of seeing that people were unhappy, seeing that the parents of my my friends were unhappy, my parents, just seeing that people weren't complete um, through living what I would still sort of call as just a, an ordinary sort of life, job, kids, um, holidays. So from sort of my early 20s, I really did seek out different ways to to experience life, I think. And whether that was trying to be of service in some way, whether that was sort of focusing on my spiritual life, um, 
all these different avenues, I think, were, were a search for some sort of fulfillment or happiness. Mm. So that's what you mean by leading an unconventional life or experiences? Yeah, I think that most people would consider my life unconventional. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so you served in, um, in the TSA chat for three years. How did that come about? Was that purely your intention to come for three years? Or did something lead you here? I think with like most questions about someone's life, that there's an element in which we could go very deep into that and would almost uh, require a biography of my life that had led me up to that point. You know, I, I think the most obvious place to start for me would be when I was sort of 23 and I did my first Vipassana course. And even that experience, I didn't undertake it to, as a spiritual practice, primarily, I would say. I undertook it because I heard about it and it seemed very hard and unconventional. And a lot of my life, especially in my late teens, early 20s, was about pushing against convention. So on my first Vipassana course, though, I sort of it was a life-changing experience. And I had experiences that um, still stick with me to this day. And really just meant that I could never engage in the world in the same way. And I struggled with that for a long time and, and still do. I actually wrote my second thesis on the relationship between internal and external peace. Uh, because that was what I was really struggling with, was this idea that um, within myself there was so much suffering and pain and uh, just struggle with existence and then also people around me were in the same way struggling with existence. And at that point, it was sort of more surface level things. Inequality I was really big on and uh, Western capitalism and all these things that I saw as injustice around me. And it was a really hard kind of uh, pull between two two parts of me. The part that wanted to sort of tuck away and just try and fix what was broken in me and the part of me that wanted to to jump out into the world and crusade for what I saw was broken in the world around me. And that kind of polarizing pull between the external and internal is something that I would say has defined most of my adult life. After I, I did my, uh, my, my thesis in, in peace and conflict studies, I I lived in. I was actually living in an ashram while I wrote it, living there for about eight eight months or so, and and studying within that tradition. And after I finished, and really felt like I'd got to a place of solidness in myself, was when I went to Africa, and I worked there for for a little bit over a year with various organisations, UNICEF, a few grassroots NGOs, um, even actually a Christian NGO. But my, my idea and my intention with going there was very much to try and take those things that I had cultivated internally and and share them in places of suffering. And I think you, you, you learn very quickly that either internally you're not strong enough or there's too much suffering and you can't fix it all. But mm. that was a really hard and big lesson and it ended up, I ended up in a very broken place after that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And so after there, um, I sort of ended up in Australia and I was working for the Red Cross with uh, refugees from who were coming over from Indonesia illegally and trying to help them until they either resettled or were sent home. So I was working there and I ended up working in a school, as you said, uh, through the Teach for Australia program, which is similar to Teach for America that is in, Amer- in America. And so I ended up teaching for a few years uh, in a yeah sort of semi-remote school, as you said, lower socioeconomic. And all that time, I was really struggling because in a lot of ways, I'd lost touch with a real strength of practice. And I would say it was just burnt out and, and, and broken still. And while I was struggling to to maintain my own practice and develop practice and just really, I would say, like hanging on to the edge of a cliff, but then also, again, being in the midst of other humans who don't even have a cliff to hang on to. And so, you know, like, for example, when I was teaching, I would try and get my kids to meditate for like just two minutes a day at the mm. start of every class. Mm-hmm. And it was just a battle. Like, and no <laughs> one was interested in doing it. No teenage kid is interested um, really in meditating. And so I was really struggling with that whole whole element and just feeling like I was letting myself down and letting people around me down. And it was sort of at that point that I would say in almost the same way as I stumbled into Vipassana, I stumbled into the T-Sage Hut. I had been in Vancouver a few years before and, and had seen a Gong Fu tea ceremony and had just been sort of deeply drawn to it in a way that I couldn't really explain. And I've had that experience throughout my life with tea. Like I even remember at university when I li- lived a very different life, I still had a tea set up in my room and it's funny to think back on that because, yeah, I'd have people over for tea it was just always something that I was drawn to. But I remember when I saw my first Gong Fu tea ceremony that I was sort of like, wow, this is something that I could really learn more about. And it was more from like an intellectual but there sort of place, but there was a very deep heart pull as well. Hmm. And so, I don't know, I think I was just on a school holiday or something. I was like, I just really want to learn about tea. And so I just sort of jumped online and just looked for a tea school and tea sage heart and Global Tea Hut was a very different... I don't even think Global Tea Hut... It might have been in its first kind of... First version. And it was sort of a very different experience. And being at the hut was a very different experience Mm -hmm. than it is now. But... And it almost didn't actually come because it was sort (laughs) of... uh, I remember the website. It was a a volunteer, like a very, very old volunteer had written it. And it was very uh, new agey and... I was sort of put off by that. But I ended up coming, um, you know, things that I was drawn to about it, I think, or the, ultimately the thing that clicked me into being like, yeah, was that it was free. And, you know, every every tradition that I've been in that has been really meaningful, every teaching that I've ever been given is really meaningful to me, has been given on donation. Mm. And, you know, in my opinion, that's sort of the only way that those teachings can really flow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just remember thinking, okay, like regardless of anything else, uh, there's heart in it. Mm-hmm. And so I came and it was with my partner at the time. And so we came, we came for nine, 10 days and 
I think that was probably the start of the end of that relationship. Because <laughs> <laughs> I remember we were we were sitting in the um, in the guest room, and I was I said to her, and because I'd often sort of talk about the idea of becoming a monk, which obviously for a partner isn't the most <laughs> comforting <laughs> conversation to have with someone. And uh, but I, I I said to her, and I was like, I could see myself living here. And yeah, I think like now if I look back, that I could see that moment as being like the tipping point where that 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 relationship started to unravel. Mm. But I think then another two months later, I came back for a longer stay, and then another two months later, I came back again, and then I brought Wooda to Australia and New Zealand, and then I moved here. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and when I came here, I came here indefinitely. It uh-huh. wasn't. In my mind, I'd left my job, my partner, everything really to to be here. And that was kind of to the degree that I was capable of, capable of, was the mindset I was coming here with. Mm -hmm. And what's, what was the intention behind that? Behind moving here? Yeah. Um, You know, like I could even go back to what I was talking about with my students uh, and trying to get them to meditate, you know. And a lot of what I was talking about in terms of this, the struggle that I had between internal and external, between like self-cultivation and and sharing, was that any practice you do really stays within yourself. It doesn't matter how much you meditate. Um, you can't share that with someone unless they're open to it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't want to be open to everything that's happening inside because it's hard and it's painful and there's so many outlets in which you can hide in the world and it's sort of that's the norm and so people aren't orientated towards facing their pain and I get it like uh, I definitely orientate a lot of ways in that way and try and hide from what's happening inside and those are the times that I, I find myself in situations where I'm I've caused myself even more pain. So I found, I think when I discovered tea and when I like had my first tea ceremony here and when I really first started to just experience the practice, that was what really, really got me hooked was the fact that this was a practice that I can cultivate but also share with people. Mm. And so when I went back to New Zealand, I was serving tea to my students you know we'd have we had like tea tea ceremonies twice a week after school and these kids who weren't into meditation and weren't didn't have the vocabulary or the experience or anything to to approach uh this internal landscape Mm. would be showing up after school and they'd set up the tea space before i even got there Mm. and so there was just like this slow or actually probably quite fast realization of the power of the medicine and of the practice. And it was just, I think I, I realized that it was, it was fundamental to who I was and to how I held myself in the world. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so the intention in terms of coming here was, you know, I, I think in a lot of ways I've done everything in terms of any job that I imagined that I could do that was going to maybe fulfill me uh, any external thing that I thought I've done. 
And I think that was also a lot of that, that 20s. And to go back to that question about seeking out experience and unconventional lifestyle, that's where a lot of that came from. You know, a lot of it was like, okay, like if this isn't going to, if money's not going to make me happy, what would be the other things? Mm. Helping people, working with kids or whatever these things were, um, you know, meditating more, living in this spiritual community, doing this, like all these things were experiments, I think, in trying to, to find a way in which I could be in the world and be fulfilled and be of service and cultivate myself and have community and uh, meaningful connection and all these things that I think are fundamental to, to a human and to human life and to just being fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think w- I saw all of that here. And even though obviously there's sort of limitations here, like there's limitations everywhere, I sort of had felt it was the best place in which my puzzle piece sort of fit Mm -hmm. and the place where I could be of the most service and do the most good in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, so that was sort of my intention in coming. Mm -hmm. Um, You talked a bit about uh, sharing tea with these kids in more formidable situations. Um, Can you go into detail more about how serving tea to them, sharing tea with them sort of helped you emerge um from your own quite difficult experiences yeah i think the crux of what you're saying and asking is actually the crux of where like service as a practice comes comes in mm-hmm. uh, i read a great quote from a franciscan monk who was talking about the three um vows that they take of uh poverty chastity and obedience and the one for obedience was when we forget ourselves uh we find ourselves and when we drop the question the answer arises Mm. and i think you know uh this is where the element of service kind of awakens in us i think uh when we get caught in practice and when we get caught in our own goal orientated practice around i have to get here to be happy and at this point when I can sort of focus in a samadhi sort of state for one hour, at that point, then things in my life are going to <laughs> fall into place. And it's so easy, I think, to get stuck in that that place. Um, and actually, it's those moments where we, like, drop that and can just be there for someone else that there isn't no sort of self that we're trying to serve. And those can be some of the most sort of powerful experiences, I think. I remember one time, and I think I was telling telling you the story the other, the other day, and mm-hmm. this, this isn't one about teaching, so it's not directly related, but I think in an indirect way it sort of answers the question or the spirit of the question. And, you know, the Huangs were coming to the, the centre to drink tea, and um, they're a very prestigious uh, family from Wishan and uh, have a really strong connection with Wooder and Wooder's teacher and very important people. And it was me and Shan and Wu here 
And I remember Wu saying, like, he was going to get out. Like, I can't remember what tea it was, but it was about $70,000 tea. And so, you know, you start rubbing your hands together and you can taste it already. <laughs> and then they arrived and he, he just sort of looked at me and said, I oh, should go cook a meal. So after the tea, tea session, that there's food on the table. And, you you know, your, your initial reaction is the heart sinks and you're like, ah. Yeah. Oh. Like, I'm missing out. And I remember it was one of the, the most profound experiences of, of, my, of this particular question and teaching because, you know, there was a moment in which I just surrendered to it and realized that the food that I put on the table was going to be what they walked out to after mm. their tea ceremony. And so in that way, it was the same as cha tonging. It was the same as being part in, of the ceremony. And as soon as I sort of had that thought and shifted my orientation in that way, it was a bizarre experience because it really felt like I was in there and drinking tea, like I was having similar experiences, I would say, to what it would have been like to be drinking tea in terms of shifts in consciousness and um, sort of an awakened way of being in what I was doing. And sort of to bring that round to, to your question, you know, we can orientate towards other people's suffering in that way. One thing I've kind of sort of learned and reflected on is that no one's suffering is necessarily greater or worse than anyone else's. No one else's peace in life in terms of whatever's going on, and I understand and have physically been around and lived in very horrific places and seen some of the worst suffering, I would say, that's happening on this earth. Mm. But in general, you know, it's it's our internal landscape that's causing our issues. Um, and I've been in some of those places and been surrounded by some of the most light-filled humans that I've been around. I think we all have that capacity, but we can also sort of look at and use, say, you know, disparities, like surface-level disparities, as motivation to enter into that mind state where we, hey, like this person's in front of me. And that's the great thing about tea is it's, it's always when you sit down, it's to serve. Mm-hmm. And uh, in that is where it becomes that practice of, of serving tea, of whoever the person is actually in front of you. Be it, you know, like a kid who's struggling or, you know, your mom or someone who you've never met, everyone has their own pain that they're carrying. And so just in general, tea and a practice is good in that way because you sit there to serve and put your stuff aside. And that's why we bow at the start and the end, excusing ourselves from the practice, excusing our, all, all our problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I have a very sort of strong connection with young people anyway. Mm-hmm probably because I'm a bit of a young person (laughs) 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 internally, but yeah. So for me, in some ways I could say that's an easier pathway into that mindset, but I think you can cultivate it anywhere. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Like Wood often says, uh, there is nothing in the human realm that can't be worked with. Um, No matter the, the challenge or trauma, Everything is workable if we're willing to do so honestly and we're open to it. Um, and in any path, be it spiritual or, or worldly, 
there's challenges and uh, you know the obstacles are the way what are some of the lessons or maybe there is one particular lesson you feel that um, you have learned dealing and overcoming these obstacles in life that that has like really stuck with you mm. um you know like i think one that i'm one that i'm really working with at the moment is kind of uh still very much a work in progress but you know like the reason for me leaving the hut it, it, and tea practice in general actually like uh was that situations arose in which i was asked to leave the hut and i um you know like i would say that i had forgotten what was important to me mm. lost my connection with what i really valued and i think that's that's very often the the struggle we get into we forget mm-hmm. you're gonna wandered off the path is that what you're saying or yeah you can say like wandering off the path or getting lost but for me it was more about forgetting um mm. and the For, inter- forgetting what though what's important to to any person mm. you know For, forgetting who we want to be or how we want to be or what's fundamental in our life and you know it's so easy to get lost in things that make us forget because everything especially in the world is designed almost to make us forget mm-hmm. forget who we are what's important to us who we love how we want to share love in the world mm. um and so you know like i've i've very deeply worked myself into a state of forgetting and um it's a hard state to be in because when you forget and have been in the light and then you forget it then the darkness is is darker you know your contrast is more extreme hmm and in terms of the forgetting did you feel like you had gotten to a place where you were forgetting consciously as opposed to gradually it was happening unconsciously over time and then pain arose and it became like an active decision to go down the path of forgetting Mm, mm. yeah i would say it was a a mixture initially Mm. it wasn't conscious Mm. i think initially sort of unconscious sort of habitual pattern Mm. comes in um and we work ourselves into a state um this is over a girl just (laughs) (laughs) so people have some context you know like um and you know so initially we we get into a state where i was just kind of lost in the worldliness of it and the fun of it and i i guess you kind of convince yourself there's no problem and then over time once I think things start to happen unconsciously initially mm-hmm. and once they have their hooks in us mm. then we we switch into the conscious choice mm. and I think that at that point that's where we're really sort of kicking the snowball mm. down the hill mm-hmm. you know the initial unconscious might be the building the snowball <laughs> but when we're consciously choosing it we kick it and I think at that point it's it's very hard to pull out of that spin because 
because the flip side of forgetting is that all you really need to do is remember mm. you know the antidote to forgetting is remembrance and that only takes an instant an instant connection back with tea or with a community or with whatever it is that you forgot Mm-hmm. you know like you can you, people often say it about partners it's like oh, i kind of forgot why i was mm-hmm. in love with them or mm-hmm. like oh you just reminded you know like we have that you have that moment with a lover and you're like oh that's why i love you mm-hmm. yeah and that's all it is it's just a moment of remembrance and then you're back mm-hmm. and you're back after also forgetting and so then there's a stronger i think i hope <laughs> time will tell but a, a stronger um commitment not to forget uh-huh. and not to enter into the conscious forgetting and mm-hmm. that's kind of what i'm working with now i even notice on subtle sort of moment to moment mind to mind levels is like there's part of us that's always trying to push mm-hmm. away from the things that are healthy for us mm-hmm. um the things that we really need and we are constantly kind of working with these pulls and so for me, that's very much my mantra almost at the moment is just every time I'm noticing those minds arising, like I, I, I choose to remember, you know, I choose to stay connected. I choose consciousness. I choose to be strong and just working with those in a real gentle way with that quite like aggressive, unconscious sort of part of us. That mm. So having compassion on yourself as well. Yeah, there's an element of of that definitely because, you know, for me specifically, like I have a very self-destructive element in my life and that I deal with in a very strong way day to day. Mm -hmm. And that's the other element, like even I can reflect on a lot of the extreme things that I've done. They also come from, and I I don't know to what degree, you know, uh, sort of is all that elements uh you know in terms of working in war zones and all these things were these compassionate acts mm-hmm. or were they self-destructive what was the end you know and I, there was definitely elements of both you know it was seeking my destruction um and so i have that and you know like it came to a head quite recently a lot of this stuff and i ended up sort of just pulling my life apart to the point that um you know i don't i <laughs> I'm hesitant to be overly dramatic, but, (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, like I I was highly suicidal and like I woke up in hospital from like drinking and it was just like there was a period of about six months that I was just like living on the edge of oblivion. Mm. And like at some point I sort of woke up and was like, oh man, like this is where this mind has been leading. Mm -hmm. It's like if I gave this mind complete free reign over my life this is what it would end up looking like and then realizing that i'd ended up there yeah you know and even with like a decade of practice i'd Mm. still completely unwound my whole life and been completely overtaken by you know this subconscious self-destructive part of myself Mm -hmm. and you know it's quite funny in a lot of ways because like literally look around at my life and be like this is what happens when you give this part of yourself rain, the reins. Mm-hmm. And so in some ways, it sucks. <laughs> in another way, it's a really strong tool that I can use because mm. 
now when that mind arrives, anger, negativity, things that are seeking to sort of push me, I can feel where that energy is taking me and not just feel it, but have been there, Mm -hmm. you know? And so sometimes like all I need to do is remember what it was like when I was there and just be like, okay, like I'm not, I, I, you know, I understand this energy is arising, but I don't, I'm not giving any more energy to you. Yeah, because you have first-hand experience, right? <laughs> first-hand experience, yeah. 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 So having fallen down, uh, you know, more than once or many times, how does one pick oneself up? You know, like I, I would say one of my, <laughs> one of my real great sk- skills is apologizing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I often say that because I have a lot of experience. Hmm. doing that um and more and more as i get older i think when i was younger i would hurt people and just i just i just break stuff you know like when i first moved to the hut they used to have a countdown for the number of days since i'd broken something (laughs) and i don't think i ever got it into double ditches Mm -hmm. like even just on a physical level i like i bump around and i break stuff and um you know i do it with people and i do it just in my life in general, just bump around and break stuff. So especially as I started sort of gaining some level of consciousness, I uh, made a real practice of trying to own up to mistakes. And I think I've, I've, I've apologized to kids I bullied, like, you know, like gone back and found them and apologized to kids I bullied as like a kid. And, but I think the, the, the key is, 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 as I said before, that remembrance. Like you have to, to pick yourself up, you have to, I think, first see that you've fallen down. Mm. And the quicker you do that, the better, because the more time you spend on the ground, the muddier you get. Mm-hmm. And also the, the more apathetic you become. Mm-hmm. You know, like the more dull you become, it's easy to kind of, if everyone else is kind of, lying on the ground and it's comfortable it's like you know like when you're in bed and you're kind of drifting off to sleep like that's it's quite a nice state is the uh the slumber the slumber the sort of the daydream um there's a pull of it otherwise people wouldn't be in it you Mm -hmm. know if it was just suffering and pain the, the whole world wouldn't wouldn't be doing it yeah there's uh there's a draw in it so you have to first realize i think that you've you're fallen. Um, and then I think the next thing, which is, is you have to want to get back up. Mm. And that's actually the hardest step I find mm. because it has to be a really genuine want to get back up. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes that means like more fully feeling and experiencing being on the ground. And that means like feeling the people you're hurting, mm. like really feeling it. And letting, that's, letting that pain in. Yeah, letting that pain in. And obviously you don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And so that's the part often I feel that drags the process out a lot is the resistance to fully experiencing the pain that you're in and, and are causing. But once that happens and once you then make that con- conscious shift really from your heart, then the process, I don't want to say gets easier, but your heart's on board. You're not sort of fighting against yourself. And so, you know, I would say 
once you make that, then it's just, it's more methodical. What are the steps I need to do? And ultimately, it's a moment in which that remembrance happens, or I would say like moments of deeper remembrance. Mm -hmm. You know, you might, even I think that cultivation of a desire, that's like a first, first stage of remembrance. And then as we start to make practical steps towards uh, getting back up, then the process sort of helps itself. Like when you put your hands and you start to push, then mm -hmm. there's another remembrance. And when you kind of get to your knees, there's another remembrance. And then, you know, as you stand up, then there's another remembrance. And then as you sort of wash yourself and change your clothes and... Mm -hmm. You start gaining like a bit of momentum. Yeah. yeah. It's sort of the snowball in the opposite yeah. direction, which is what the Buddha said. You know, the Buddha said that, you know, like all our, all our like tensions are like a rope. And mm -hmm. if we spend our life winding them and winding them, we get to the stage where it's just so knotted and tense. And the good news is kind of like when you let go of the rope, it just puts itself back, you know, mm -hmm. just unravels. Yeah. And so I really feel like the, the, the decision to put your heart in a place where you want to get back up is the moment of letting go of the rope. Mm. And of course, there's going to be some uncomfortable as the rope kind of bounces around. But it's once you've let go, mm -hmm. once you've decided to stand up, the process is just going to happen. Yeah. Do you find that there's any like uh, practical things that can help you remember or once you're already like oriented in that way oriented towards the light and and you want to get back up um are there any practical things that help you like you know reading certain literature or sutras or or maybe some mantras um during meditation or talking to certain people or um, anything like that i mean yeah i think That's obviously going to be different for, for everyone, though. You know, like I would say, like, one thing, like, if we use my specific example is, like, um, you know, for me, a really healing element was coming back into drinking tea every day. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I was at a point where I was still serving a little bit of tea, but, like, my heart wasn't really in it. And so when I sort of drank tea every day for three months, then at the end of that period, there was like a, whoa, okay. A deeper remembrance of something that I had forgotten. Mm. And so I think we, the, the key to it is to take those. And I don't like the saying fake it till you make it. And I don't like it when people say it uh, about spiritual practice or anything like that. But I think that again is like, what are the things that are going to actually be putting your hands down, actually going to be pushing up off the ground? Really, th I think, thinking about what those are. So for me, you know, meditation, tea, yeah, like reading certain texts and, and things like that. And also like reconnecting with, you know, people within the tradition and that I'd been pushing away. Like I, a lot of people were really trying to reach out and I was pushing them away and just keeping everyone at a distance because, again, that was too painful. Mm-hmm. And so once you've made that decision, I think ultimately it's got to be up to someone um, as to what those things are going to be. But I think it has to be a conscious effort, mm -hmm. a conscious effort about what are the things that used to inspire me and to bring remembrance to me. And then how can I bring those things back in? Mm -hmm. And understanding also that it's a process, you know, like um, I think there's probably a point in which you can just jump back up I'm definitely not there, depending on the level of the fall. Mm -hmm. But um, 
yeah, and just taking it step by step and moment by moment working with those things and then also holding that that remembrance of where you don't want to be. I think that's a really that's I'm noticing that as a really powerful practice for me. Mm. Right? It's like remembering, okay, like it's it's not it doesn't feel like a pushing against like the darkness of that time. It just feels like, oh like I tried that mm-hmm. and that's not where I want it. That wasn't fulfilling. Yeah. Um so you know, it'd be like, you know, like I'm not going left because I don't want to go right. I'm going left because I walked down the right pathway and it wasn't where I wanted to go. Yeah. So then there's a process of having to turn around and walk back over some of the same steps, you know, have to sort of undo some of the things that you did. So, yeah, I think that's like a hard one to specifically give individual advice because it does depend on... um, on the nature of the fall but you know like fundamentally like things really have to cultivate to really get back up i think the main thing is humility for me like if you're walking into say a a relationship thing or something where you've hurt someone with an element of like oh but i'm still right and those reasons in your head why you did what you did uh then i would say your, your heart's not at a place where you're fully accepted responsibility. Mm. You know, they say like the more you practice, the the more you work to a realization that everything in your life's your fault. A hundred percent of it. Mm. And, you know, maybe you're not going to be fully at a hundred percent, but that's if you can approach someone with a hundred percent, this is my fault, then there's nowhere for just life in general to kind of break against that wall, the wave of of whatever's happening, of the energy that, of what's happening. So when you're fully humble, the wave can kind of smash over you and wash over you and then just retract and then it's gone. Mm. And so I think humility is really big and that's why you need to be able to feel being down on the ground because until you really like accept and like feel that and then know that, you know, your actions are what, what brought you here, mm-hmm. then you, you you can't get back up fully. Would you say that that would be similar to the way that you're relating to the hut in particular? Um, for example, we've had some conversations where you shared with me that after you left coming back here felt uncomfortable, a little bit painful, and that this particular stay has felt more more pleasant and more light um would you say would you attribute that to cultivating this remembrance the humility maybe some self-forgiveness can you talk a little bit more about that yeah i you know as you said as it is um you know like i first saw wuda when i left here wuda said to me um you know like if i if I see you again, you know, like it has to be on your terms. And what he was saying to me then is basically what I'm expressing here, that you need to come to the realization of how your actions brought us to this place and come from that place. Mm-hmm. And so the first time I saw Wooter again was in Australia and he was on tour and um, he was in Brisbane. I think I was up the coast at like a surf town 
where I was sort of living. Um, and I almost didn't go. And it was sort of one of those things that I like, I didn't want to do it. It was like, I didn't want to go. And then I was sort of, uh, my attitude was like, all right, well, if I can go just for the tea ceremony for the two hours, like just roll in, have tea, no conversation, <laughs> I'll go. And so we started driving down and the person who I was planning to stay with, uh, which was separate from where we were staying, got like gastro or something <laughs> like that. And so I couldn't stay with her. And so I'm like halfway down and then like the only place I could stay was at the same house that Wu was at. And I was like, oh, nah. And so I'm sort of like an hour into driving there. I'm sort of like, do I just turn around? And then uh, someone messaged me and just said like, oh, we'd really love to have you. And I was like, that was one of those moments that there was still obviously that resistance between wanting part of me obviously wanted to get up, but I definitely wasn't at 100%. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, it was one of these situations where life kind of created a situation that I couldn't leave. Hmm. And so, yeah, I ended up going and then staying the night. And it was a good thing, you know, because it gave me and Wu like a chance to kind of talk. And that was sort of the beginning. And there was still like a lot of pain and a lot of resistance, I would say, in me. And still, I was still struggling with those self-destructive elements and yeah, and then and then and then I came to the hut, um, and stayed for a couple of months, and went on the trip. And at that point as well, I was still at a point where I was still not really ready to mm. fully come back. Mm. And then, um, you know, I was, I was in Indonesia surfing for a bit, and then uh, I came back again, but I was only supposed to just be stopping in for like a day. And it was similar to that experience of my first time. I was like, all right, like, I feel like I've had enough hut and everything for a while. Like, I'm just going to stop. And I think I had to drop some tea off for aging. And uh, due to a, a, like a complication, I had to stay for like four weeks. I couldn't leave the country. Hmm. and it really so the like, universe like forced you to be here forced me <laughs> and like like tooth and nail <laughs> and I think you know like but in, in a lot of ways it's testament to that also I think I don't know this is a little bit like out there and perhaps not true and I would be open to it not being true but I think when you make commitment and movement towards anything like that is sort of light whether that be forgiveness or humility or getting back up there's also times in which the universe kind of helps you out mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. absolutely yeah mm -hmm. and it was it, this wasn't in the way that i, I didn't want this help <laughs> so anyway i was like forced to be here for like four weeks and in that time there was still resistance and i was still struggling a lot but that was sort of the beginning and then i went away for another three months in hawaii um and sort of did a lot of work there on myself and and now coming back this time and as like, yeah I think I was saying to you like this is like the first time it's like oh like I it was excited to come mm. you know the first time I came here I sat outside the gate for an hour and I was just like <laughs> I don't want to go and I don't want to do this and I think you know like to to answer that question or go, go back to that question that you had before about like practical advice is like also like knowing that you're going to have to face the 
the things that you did and mm -hmm. it's not comfortable but also there's an element in which if you can surrender to it mm -hmm. it doesn't actually matter yeah and it feels way better to be on the other side of it mm -hmm. than to be rolling in the mud yeah mm -hmm. like you said sometimes you feel like th the jump or the leap up is too hard but what we can do is we can baby step it right we don't have to um if we can't find the strength in ourselves to make change happen we can be open to allowing change to happen to us right so yeah. we can we can take a, a baby step and and also ask the universe to help us because mm -hmm. the you know unseen forces basically will uh, rush to your aid if you take an orientation towards light and mm -hmm. uh, if you commit commit to um, getting back up mm -hmm. yeah and I, i yeah like i like i definitely agree like and i think sometimes we want to just be on the other side of it you know mm -hmm. whatever we're going through and we sometimes that big step can actually incapacitate us because we're like either like well if i can't do all of it what's the point or like we can't until you start to make some of those small steps you can't actually imagine what it's like to be on the other side if you're angry or hurt at someone um you can't imagine what it's like to be on a side where you're like just fully open and mm -hmm. forgiving them mm -hmm. you know because there's so many other stages that you need to work through emotionally and actually i think the the other side is different to what we imagine it because we always imagine it as what it used to be. Mm -hmm. yeah. But there's elements of what it used to be that we're hurt by. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think the understanding of moving forward is that the big step actually isn't always what we need to take. We mm -hmm. need to, you know, like first start, like, as you said, like shifting our orientation towards it and then taking those smaller steps. You know, the first ones might be talking about, it might be going for just a tea session. And the, the goal of it isn't to, heal all the the pain and hurt that you know that has gone but it's just to go for a tea session mm -hmm. and just to kind of be open to to sitting for tea mm -hmm. and yeah so i think i think you're right it doesn't have to be these big big gestures and sometimes those smaller gestures are as you say like powerful in ways that we don't understand and i, I don't know what the the specifics of it are in terms of how it works, but I just know that actually probably the most fundamental step is the shift in orientation mm -hmm. and, and heart and everything else. Not only doesn't matter, but just puts itself into place when that's that's correct. Mm. Yeah. Sam, since I've known you, I've seen you experience a tremendous amount of physical pain. Can you talk about how navigating physical pain during sitting or serving tea has affected your practice and if you believe there is a direct correlation between all of the emotional or spiritual tribulations we've touched on mm, um yeah i mean i've struggled with a knee knee issue for probably the last five or six years and i've definitely noticed um it sort of really started i had the first really bad Uh, incident during the period at the hut as I was going through this like uh, process where I was like consciously choosing uh, to start to indulge the forgetting element um, that we talked about that was like I my knee went and I couldn't walk for like a month and um, and I sort of just uh, ignored it and you know I still tried sitting and serving tea and um, 
were just making sort of physical adjustments, whether that was sitting in a chair or not crossing one of my legs. Um, but I think what's sort of interesting is even, I don't know to what degree, say, like emotional states are influencing physical. I, I don't know that. But that I can trace uh, l- lack of like self-care on my body back to that destructive mm. element or that mm. part of me that's apathetic. And so I can definitely see in my life, you know, I remember, I remember specifically being like 19, 20, and like I used to be sort of very extreme into like high impact sports, snowboarding, things like that. And I remember even saying it to people. Like I used to be like, oh, who cares about when you're 30? You know, if my body's screwed at 30, I don't care. Like I'm just got to go hard now. And now I'm like 32 and I'm like, oh, you jerk. <laughs> I can't walk. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think there's definitely a correlation uh, even in the mindset. You know, like a, a like forgetting the importance of the body and the not honoring that is the same sort of mindset, just in a different way to not honoring and remembering what's important to us is. And, you know, the outcomes are, are kind of similar. Mm-hmm. The ones on a physical level, ones on an emotional or a spiritual level mm-hmm. is like we end up in like a broken place where mm-hmm. we, we don't know how to move forward and... You know, like I also think like the that the healing process is, is the same. It's that first like just a surrendered humility to the, the process of it. And again, like the same thing I'd say with like the internal process where that, that decision, that real heartfelt decision is like, hey, no, like I'm going to look after myself or I'm going to take the steps to get better. Um, and once you surrender to it again, like I feel like, that process kind of works itself out in terms of like finding the right treatments and just orientating in the right way. Like, yeah, like I can't sit in the way I used to, you know, like, and now, you know, like I actually reached like a physical point in a sit where it's like, okay, like is this dangerous for my knee? And, you know, I have to position myself in certain ways and I didn't used to have to worry about that in that way. And same thing with certain things I can and can't do at the moment, you know, be that sort of, with surfing or, you know, running or anything that I, I, I sort of want to do. I just have to try and engage in decisions in a way that the question sort of, is, is this compassionate to myself? Is mm. this directed towards my, like, healing and getting this better uh, and sort of stewarding this part of me that really needs to be stewarded? And I think you could say the same thing internally. You know, we need to... Every moment, there's sort of decisions we can make, which are either going to be one way or the other. You know, is this is this working with the understanding of like uh, my nature to forget or my nature to remember? Mm. And just whenever we're conscious, asking ourselves that question physically as well. Like, is this? Am I looking after myself right now? Am I orientated towards getting better right now or am I orientated towards the energy that put me in this place? Mm. So there's a lot of parallels, I think, between the healing process Um, and as to what degree sort of one influences the other, who knows, you know. Um, I'm sure there is a connection there, but um, 
I think for me, what's more interesting is the connection between the process of of getting better and how we can use the lessons from both to become more skilled in both. Coming back to now to the um, kind of the practical advice that I asked about earlier, uh, and you said that um, one of the things that really helped was getting back into drinking tea. Um, I guess that refers to or what you're talking about in essence is um, getting back to connecting to your Tao, whatever whatever that is in your life, whether it be like music, if you're a musician, or um, whatever it is in your life that is that you feel strongly towards um, getting back into doing that without expecting any any sort of like benefit from it necessarily or so it's not like goal oriented you're just getting back to it to do it um, is that what you meant yes and no you know like I, obviously I think like if you're living an unskillful existence or life or period of your life where you're not practicing and you do have a Tao connection to that's obviously going to uh, reawaken a lot of the things that we're kind of talking about and mm-hmm. just remind you about what's important in general in your life um, and so I guess that example is kind of funny because both the thing in which I was working towards healing was to do with tea and also obviously my doubts to do with tea mm-hmm. so I mean my for mine in that situation it was one of the same but it was also like uh, the other element that I guess I was saying was that uh, the practical step to to work with whatever it is you're trying to... So it might be a partner or, you know, like someone who you heard. And so maybe it's just like taking some time to hang out with that person where, say, it wasn't about talking through the issue or, you know, you know a musician, if you had like something happen in terms of like your relationship with music or something like that. You also mean like just remembering why you love something or someone or... Mm-hmm. And, just you you have to have space and time to do that that doesn't you can't just cultivate that in your mind mm-hmm. you know the reason you love someone was because you were spending time with them and looking in their eyes and having great conversations and laughing and mm-hmm. um so reconnecting with that so yeah it's both it's definitely both it's we need to have connection i would say to stillness and to um things beyond ourselves and our Tao and these elements that's definitely fundamental to healing and getting up mm-hmm. you need those strong bases and the more the stronger those are the quicker the process happens uh and the deeper mm-hmm. for sure and then the other element that I, I guess i was referring to with the tea was like just creating space to reconnect with those things that we've we've hurt or distanced ourselves from and mm, right yeah yeah uh-huh. And would you say that tea as a like as a drink or beverage also helped like just the physical act of drinking tea would was that something that helped you as well maybe get into the mindset or or just heal some of it yeah I mean I obviously like have an affinity with tea and so there's you know like I mean maybe the last thing like that I would say would be like in terms of this forgetting and remembrance thing is the nice thing about tea is as a medicine and as a as a plant, as she, she's always waiting for you to remember. Mm. You know, like the only piece missing from you connecting with T is you remembering. She's sort of there with, with open arms, 
at any moment where where you really turn towards her. And so I think in terms of perhaps this specific conversation and she's a really great example of of what I'm talking about and that as soon as you orientate towards her in a way of humility and reverence and I want to remember, then she reminds you. Mm. And I think that's part of her beauty, you know, is that she always wants you to remember. Mm. And she'll always help you remember if you're if you're orientated thus. That's a beautiful note to end on. Thank you so much, Sam. Um, this has been a, a fairly heavy topic and uh, <laughs> and this conversation has been on the heavier side, but actually um, I've known Sam for a few years now and and to me he's one of the most lighthearted mm. people in my life that I know mm. and um, I'd really love, love to do another podcast, another chat um, on a much lighter subject <laughs> if you're open to it, Sam. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm excited to welcome you back uh, on the Life of Tea podcast in the future. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't shy away from heavy topics, and I think it's important mm. um, to have a balance of both. And sometimes I sway a little heavy on the lightness, so <laughs> it's nice to also complement that with a bit of some real talk. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, brother. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you, both. you so much. If you've enjoyed this episode, then help us reach more people by sharing this episode with friends and family. Your likes, comments and shares will go a long way and are deeply appreciated. Another direct way to support this project and the free tea center here in Miali, Taiwan that you can come and visit is to sign up for our monthly ad-free magazine that covers all aspects of tea from brewing and processing techniques to history, lore, spirituality and also the community aspect of tea as well. It comes with a beautiful, sustainably produced tea every month, and to subscribe for it, go to globalteahut.org. If you're looking for more information on some linear topics, like how to brew tea better, then perhaps go and check out our YouTube channel, also called Global Tea Hut. Until next time, heat up some water, get out the bowl, and drink some beautiful tea. Thank you.